Hey gang, this is Emily, and I want to talk to you quickly about your period. Did you know that it takes disposable pads and tampons an average of 500 years to decompose in a landfill? Luna Pads, however, is the OG of reusable period products made with love in Vancouver, Canada. Luna Pads makes eco-friendly, zero-waste period solutions for all bodies and all genders. Check them out at lunapads.com and get 15% off with the promo code BUST. Hello. Hello. And welcome to Pop-Tarts. Me, 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 me. I'm Emily Rems. I'm Callie Watts. We are both editors at Bust Magazine in New York City. And we love talking to each other about pop culture. We love talking to you about pop culture. And today we're going to talk about rom-coms. We're going to not just talk about rom-coms, but we're going to talk about sex, lies, and rom-coms. <laughs> uh, romantic comedies are often polarizing because even though they're ostensibly made for a female audience, it's rare to find one that actually tells the truth about women's lives. Uh, but in real life, women are also out there in these streets lying all the time when it comes to sex. Is this propensity to lie about our sex lives a social construct bolstered by rom-coms? Is it life imitating art or art imitating life? Here to help us figure it all out is Lux Alptrom author of the new book faking it the lies women tell about sex and the truths they reveal welcome Lux. hi i'm okay. so happy to be here thank you both for having me thank you. women lie to say we're less experienced men lie to say they're more experienced i've sucked a lot of dick and i still suck at it richard gear can like fall in love with her because she's just barely a prostitute Oh, but it's romantic that he lied to you. Toot toot, toot toot. Let's start out with you giving us a quick and dirty summary of your career up until this point and what led you to become an expert on how and why women lie about sex. I know you primarily from BinderCon, yes. uh, the amazing Out of the Binders Women's Writers Conference that you helped to found. Thank you. That um, has changed so many lives. So that is definitely working with women and gender valiant writers to advance their careers is one of my passions. But my own career focuses on sex and feminism. It's a little hard to give a quick and dirty <laughs> summary because I've done so many weird right. and different things. <laughs> but suffice it to say, I have been working in uh, sexuality in some capacity since I was 14. Uh, and I've been a sex educator. I have run a website uh, that was a blog about porn and sex. And now I am a freelance writer who writes all about sexuality and adult entertainment and feminism and just in discussing sex in educating about sex from so many different angles over the years I really noticed this common theme that was a lack of trust in women and this idea that women couldn't be trusted women were probably lying and it was really upsetting to me, I think for obvious reasons, um, and I really started to wonder a few years ago where it was all coming from, and the unexpected thing was that as I started investigating the topic more deeply, I realized it wasn't just that we had this conception of women as liars, it was that many of us are lying, 
Uh, but we're lying not out of malice, not because we're trying to get one over on people, but because when we tell the truth, we're not believed or we're punished. Right. Mm-hmm. When I uh, was reading your book, it struck me that women are people pleasers and yep. are raised to be people pleasers. And there's a lot of that that goes into lying about sexuality. And then there's also a lot of um, being afraid of being murdered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. It's, it's and those really are both reasons that would make someone want to lie about sexuality or their own sexual history. Yeah. The murder thing is not actually exaggerating, sadly. No, I mean, it's not. when you look at, for instance, I one of the topics I take on is lying about virginity and virginity tests. And if you look at, oh for God, instance, yeah. the experiences of women in Egypt who, ha- who have to go through virginity tests and maybe get a hymenoplasty where the hymen is quote-unquote reconstructed in Ugh. order to pass the I virginity test. I did an test. article once. Remember yeah. where I yeah. tested the fake hymen and it came in like a... Yeah. Uh, was it a Korean or... I forget, but it looked like a eyeshadow box. Right. And then it was like a clear sheet, like a cellophane with blood in it. And you had to put it over, but they don't account for pube hair when that goes down. <laughs> and also, the blood was not very yeah. convincing. And I was like, if you used this, you would be killed because this is the fakest looking shit I've right. ever seen. And I feel, I feel like people who use that are hoping, like, nobody's going to pay too much attention and they just get, like, the blood. But, yeah, it really is, like, a life or death matter for some women. And then even when it's not, I, I really like that you phrase it as people-pleasing mm-hmm. because I think – you're right. Like women and especially American women are so conditioned to like keep the peace, to make sure our partners, especially our male partners are happy that their egos are not under threat. Mm-hmm. And that like, just, just make sure everything goes smoothly and lying can really help with that. Yeah. I would, I would like to visit some of the eight main areas that you identify in your book in which women are tempted to lie about sex. Um, orgasm the priority of orgasm how we have them if we have them Mm -hmm. what we are actually enjoying doing in bed versus what porn suggests we should like or what our partners suggest that we should like virginity as you said with all the attendant blood and pain and hymen busting uh altering our appearance through wigs and weaves and shapewear and makeup and surgery somehow lying about our appearance or the appearance that we were given by our mamas <laughs> saying that we have boyfriends. So dudes leave us alone. Uh-huh. Uh, lying about the number of sex partners we've had or how much sexual experience we have lying about birth control and resisting when we actually want something or saying yes, when we actually don't. Do you think pop culture disseminates the expectations that lead to these lies more than like say family or peers Where do we get these messages to lie about all the shit? So I definitely think pop culture plays a huge part. And and I say this as someone who grew up in a very liberal, very sex-positive family where I was not raised to be like a quote-unquote good girl who said no or held back. Like I wasn't raised to see any of of these like really limiting and punishing ideas about femininity as uh, behavior I should engage in, but I still knew – that like I should be worried that men were going to judge me for having too much sex. Mm-hmm. I still knew that like b- 
being a virgin was somehow preferable. I still knew all of these things that my family never impressed upon me. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think it's it's so hard to escape these messages. Even if you reject them, you're still being shaped by them by like knowing that you're rejecting them and knowing that you are different. And it's not, we're focusing sort of on rom-coms in this episode, but when I say pop culturally, obviously there's other things. There's a lot of talk about how much the pornification of America has changed people's relationship to their own bodies and to sex and to their own sexual responses. And then there's also things like, I remember being a kid and reading romance novels and absorbing these different characters who were virgins who had never had sex and then all of a sudden like this swashbuckling whoever sweeps them off their feet and it hurts for like a second and then all of a sudden like she's pleasing him in ways that he's never experienced before and she is having like these skyrocketing orgasms and everyone is awash in pleasure and desire and like it's literally her first time and she's never done anything before and she's both a virgin and an expert all in one night and like those kinds of pop cultural influences shape us i think just as much as I've like a julia roberts movie. one of those books except the closest i got was the fountainhead now that's a piece of trash <laughs> <laughs> that is a piece of trash but i remember reading it and being like oh my god why is this lady just fascinated with this dude's glistening muscles in this rock quarry like <laughs> isn't this supposed to be about politics I was like what is this I think there's also <laughs> wow. this idea too for women that especially in a heterosexual context your sexual pleasure is something that your partner is going to rest out of you or your partner is going to find for you right and that you are not an active agent and like I remember being very young and being like oh you know Maybe if my partner, like, ties me up and incapacitates me, they can just force my orgasm out of me. Like, right. they'll, they'll unlock it for me. The Fifty force. Shades influence. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, no, you have to actively be involved in your own sexual pleasure and your own sexual discovery. What are some romantic comedies that you think do women a disservice by sending negative or restrictive or regressive messages about sex and women? Well, I think Fifty Shades definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, because just, of the reason that we just said? Yeah. You know, I think Fifty Shades really, really reinforces this idea of like, oh, you should be innocent, but then like magically discover your sexuality. But also you should be submissive to a man, not in a like consensual I'm submissive because it's what I want, but like in a man rich and way. he has a jet. <laughs> yeah. It's like a lot of that. Um, I think that there are a lot of rom-coms that really reinforce this message of like women being pursued by men. We tend to portray really stalkery and creepy behavior <laughs> as romantic. Yeah, right. he, and he followed creepy. her to the ends of right. the Right, like what is it? Is it say anything with the boombox? Like, yeah, yeah. I was if actually, you pulled that shit today, I'd be like, get off my lawn, bitch. Yeah. I didn't think that was super stalker-ish. I thought it was sweet at the time. Maybe I'm f- 
fucked up. But it's like they he wasn't like a rando. It wasn't like he was like, hey, miss, hey, miss on the street and then showed up with the boombox. Like they were really vibing. And she told the only reason that she wasn't with him was because she was going away on, you know, her adventurous like Fulbright situation. And I I watched that movie when it came out. I believe it was 1989. And I was really impressed with the fact that she was the one with the job prospects. She was the one with the career. Like mm-hmm. she was the one where like if you want this girl, like you're going to have to uproot your life because her life is going like full speed ahead and no man no dad like nobody's gonna stop her from like achieving her dreams and if you want to go with her you can but like she's on her track and I thought that was very progressive at the time yeah and like you know even even rom-coms that I really enjoy like I love 10 things I hate about you Mm -hmm. but it is also like (laughs) oh you need to just badger a woman into liking you and eventually like she needs to be worn down right right excuse me have you seen the feminine mystique I've lost my copy what are you doing here? I heard there was a poetry reading. You're so... Charming. Wholesome. Unwelcome? This whole, like, oh, she's frigid because of, like, whatever, but you'll eventually wear her down. I mean, she's all that, where this man, like, lying to a woman and kind of, like, mastering her, like, oh, but he falls in love with her eventually, so it's okay. What do you say, Zach? A bet? Huh. Unless, of course, you're too heartbroken. Just name the terms. All right, simple. I'll pick the girl. And you got six weeks to turn her into the prom queen. But mm. there is this idea that I do touch on in the book is that when men are deceitful, which in both 10 Things I Hate About You and She's All That, they are, that's positioned as as them being mastering the situation. That's them being smart. And uh-huh. Whereas when women are found out to be lying, that's bad. Yeah, women are just bad. Whereas, like, men, it's like, oh, but it's romantic that he lied to you somehow. Mm -hmm. Right. And 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 it was because he loved you that he lied to you. Yeah. Yeah. Nope, get off my lawn. Uh (laughs) You kids, get off my lawn. Another movie that you rightfully trashed in your book that I loved in the 80s that I don't think I could sit through now is Revenge of the Nerds. Oh, yeah. That one, like, I saw that when I was probably, like, 11 or 12. Yeah, me too. It's yeah, so weird to think about it because that it, it I didn't realize I think until like my late teens or early twenties I was like that's a movie that presents a sexual assault as romantic and like wacky yeah Stan <sighs> he did things to me you've never done before <gasps> you're that nerd and I, I you know I hesitate to call that one a rom com because I think it's more like a raunchy sex comedy yeah. but it. It's really, really disturbing the like, yeah. moral message that that, you, and it's really disturbing that like in the eighties this was not seen. And actually, like there was, um, they would be incels now. Yeah. Oh, they would. They yeah. absolutely would. I mean, I don't know if in the eighties they could have imagined those dudes shooting up a yoga studio, <laughs> but like they right. maybe. There was the sense that, like, these dudes need to get laid or else. Right, right. And that, you know, that they are justified in, like, the panty raid on the sorority house where they install cameras to spy on women getting dressed and undressed. Yeah, Mm -hmm. in their home. Yeah, that this is just, like, hijinks, and it's justified because these women are stuck up. I think that there's also just sort of behavioral things that aren't sexual, obviously, that bring baggage along with rom-coms like 
I would I will out myself and say that both the TV show and the movie of the Adams family made me want to be Morticia so much to have a man be like, you are driving me mad with desire. I cannot contain myself anymore. Kissing me up my arm because I spoke French or something. Creme de la toadstool. (laughs) You spoke French. Later, later. Mrs. Dragwater and I have a lot to discuss. Gomez was so horny for Morticia all the time. It just sort of like became this unreasonable sexual slash romantic rom-com ideal for me that like I just wanted someone who would be like, Caramia, I cannot stand it any longer. But I mean, yeah, that's a, like you said, it's just like the way he looks at her. You want yeah. your cat to look at Expecting you like Expecting your partner <laughs> to have a perma boner for you all the time is not realistic. No. <laughs> but it's something that young Emily well, of grew up wanting. Him. Young Emily loves the goth. So <laughs> it would not have been, you would have loved any of that. But it is it is true. Actually, I mean, first of all, Raul Julia and Angelica Houston are just super hot. Yeah, so hot. And I'm also excited that I think they're doing a new Adams Family with Oscar Isaac. Ooh, that'll be good. Which I'm like, ooh. I forget who Morticia is going to be, but I remember hearing like Oscar Isaac. Um, but you know, there is this idea um about about men always being turned on and men always wanting sex and that if men don't want sex the woman is doing something wrong right yeah that i think is really also very harmful for uh, for everybody in heterosexual relationships but also for women in ways that we don't always talk about because women get it in their heads that if they want sex more than their partner or if their partner isn't constantly horny that that they are somehow now ugly or unattractive or failing when it's you know Maybe he has a low sex drive, and that's okay. Maybe he's stressed out at work. Maybe all of these different things. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about Chasing Amy. So I I know Chasing Amy gets a bad rap from a lot of people, but I unapologetically love it. Who's giving it a bad rap? Uh, Well, I think I've heard a lot of stuff because I think people misunderstand it. Because people are like, oh, it's a movie about this lesbian who gets converted to bisexuality and i'm like that's not what the movie's about it's a movie about a queer woman who's chosen to be just with women who then opens herself up to a man again and then remembers why she doesn't want to be with men (laughs) because they have all this baggage and i think it's like this really insightful condemnation of straight male insecurity yeah because you have this guy and he falls in love with this woman he really loves this idea that she's quote unquote virginal just because he thinks she's a lesbian and lesbian sex right. doesn't count. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then <laughs> that's another reason people give it the side eye. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, that's definitely. But yeah. I think the movie doesn't think that lesbian sex doesn't count. Right. I think the right. movie they're ch- pointing out that right. like, there are the men whole, who think that. There's the whole scene where she it talks to him about fisting and she's like, You are completely full of shit if you think this is not real sex. So you're saying a person is a virgin until they've had intercourse with a member of the opposite sex. Isn't that the standard definition? (laughs) Again, with your standards. I think virginity is lost when you make love for the first time. With a member of the opposite sex? Why? Why only then? Because that's the standard. We retire. But yeah, and then the minute he finds out that she actually has a varied sexual history that is much more vibrant 
than his own. He completely loses it and he cannot deal with the fact that she is choosing to be with him. He right. thinks like there must she's not going to be satisfied. He can't satisfy her. And I think the movie rightly acknowledges that he is the villain in this story mm-hmm. and that his insecurity is the villain and that he needs to grow up. Uh, and I just love it. I think it's so insightful about how men and straight men especially harm themselves through this conviction that they have to be the most wild amazing sex that their partner has or that that the women that they're with if they have a colorful sexual past that they can't possibly be satisfied Mm -hmm. with a more mild sexual experience or sexual relationship i mean the thing that i find weird about that movie is it's still a little confusing about why Alyssa would want to be with holden yeah for sure (laughs) that's like still not totally clear although a lot of women fall for like kind of mediocre dudes in real life but i'm like but you knew there were better options another film that has a protagonist with a colorful sexual past is Trainwreck. Yes. Um, one time, I had sex with this guy, and we couldn't find the condom. So three days later, I found out it, it was attached to my cervix. It had been, like, kind of pounded up there. And, uh, and that, I assume, in your view, does not succeed as well. No, I mean, it's, it's funny because, like, Trainwreck was made, I think, 20 years later, give or take a yeah. few years. Uh, Trainwreck is written by a woman, and it's also this movie about a woman with a promiscuous and complicated sexual past who falls in love with a dude, but even though it's the one that ends up with a quote-unquote happy ending where they end up together, I find it really a lot more upsetting because it seems to side with... Uh, I think his name is Aaron, whatever, Bill Hader. Yeah, Yeah, Bill Hader's character. It seems to be like, yeah, he's correct. She is a mess. She has to literally do a full song and dance routine to win (laughs) But it's like there's a part where he's like, the fact that you've been with a lot of guys, it makes me feel unsafe. And that is never pushed back against. And it's like, why is he unsafe? It, It really buys into this idea that, you know, she is a mess. She is a problem that her sleeping with lots of men is a part of her dysfunction and that like she's the one who needs to fix herself and that he is somehow correct in being insecure and she should prove to him that she is worthy. There's also this idea that going back to the idea of like a woman who's an expert at sex but still hasn't had it so much, I keep thinking about Pretty Woman and this idea that Julia Roberts is a prostitute but she just became one like this week. (laughs) (laughs) like this this idea that richard Gere can like fall in love with her because she's just barely a prostitute right right well and she's somehow skilled enough but not that sexually experienced right i she's just really poor you guys right (laughs) you know that's how it works (laughs) and then you get this multi-millionaire client like she wouldn't get to have that special like fuck you experience in the boutique getting to buy whatever she wants if she had been a prostitute for more than a week. Yeah. No, it's... I mean, and another thing that I talk about in the book, too, is that there's this idea that women should have all of the sexual skills without the experience necessary, as though one can spontaneously develop like amazing blowjob skills. And it's like, no, it takes a lot of work and trial and error. I've sucked a lot of dick, and I still suck at it. Right, like, it it takes (laughs) practice. 
it's not where my heart lies. I mean, I also, yeah. I think, is it an enthusiasm gap? Yeah, you know, and I'm always envious of friends that are like, I love sucking dick. And I'm like, tell me, <laughs> tell me how you got there. Because I'm like, I hate this work. <laughs> it's not for everybody. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I do it. But I'm just like, that's not my favorite thing on the table. It's it's not the lazy girl's best friend. No, it's so much work. It really has a lot of work involved. I mean, it is called a blow job. For a fucking reason. Right, it's not man. a blow vacation. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I have had sex with so many people, but my amount of blow jobs is very low. <laughs> very low. You put the low in blow. Just going back to the imperfect like female protagonist, like, I think bridesmaids, does that a lot better where like she is a mess and she has difficulty um being in a relationship and all of this but it's like in a way where she's not really punished for it yeah like like. promiscuity is not an issue yeah yeah. and like you know i i just like that she yeah she gets to like have had the fun sex with john ham Mm -hmm. where she knows it's not going to go anywhere but that's never held against her what's held against her is just the fact that she does not have her shit together in her life and she does not she's really stuck in the past and not really allowing herself to move forward my beef with that movie is that i feel like it's all about fat shaming melissa mccarthy and i know that it's the movie that made her career and like she has like all of these options available to her now because of it but i don't like her diving over to the couch and everyone laughing at her i didn't like it I think that's a really good point. And it also, I don't like that it sort of presents the idea that she would have sex with someone as, like, kind of comedic. Right. Right. Like, I like think <laughs> sex with a fat girl. <laughs> but her and Ben Falcone are so cute together. I know, so cute. I do think it redeems it a little bit, like, when she has the speech to Kristen Wiig, yeah. where she's just like, you know, I am totally happy with who I am and, like, whatever. Right. And, like, I, I feel like there is a way, like, the way I try to view that movie is by seeing her as the real hero. Yeah. But I do agree with you that it takes, like, cheap laughs at her. For a long time, both Julia Roberts and Meg Ryan were considered the queens of romantic comedy. What do you think that these women telegraphed to other women about what is and is not sexually acceptable? Are there repercussions from these women's careers being felt today? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, they're both. Number one, they're both white. Which they are mm-hmm. very white and very thin. Very white and very thin. And I feel like they both, when I think about them, they're both this like very specific type of femininity. And it's kind of waspy. And, and why do we want to watch them fall in love over and over Right? Again? And it's like kind I of innocent. <laughs> it's always sort of like not really trying and being kind of passive. Right. There, it involves cable knit sweaters often. Yeah. Or <laughs> different kinds of knit wear. It's this very passive white femininity where you're sort of like allowed to want but not really supposed to try too hard. There's some nervous pining. Yeah. And like it just sort of you just get swept up in the moment. And I mean, yeah, to me, the fact that we keep getting told we're still getting told really that thin white women who are very, very white are the the pinnacle of desirability. But also, there's all that backlash on um What's her face? The that was like I'm the first plus size. Oh God, uh, Rebel, Rebel Wilson. Wilson. And having. then everybody was like, uh, "Did you forget about Queen Latifah?" Yeah, or even just like Ricky Lake. Thank you. Like, we just had her on. Like, yeah, it was like, oh my God, did you not even do a Googs before you made that statement? Have some fucking respect for Ricky Lake. Also, have you watched the trailer for Rebel Wilson's movie? No, I haven't. So. 
it's really heartbreaking to me because it's actually I think even beyond her just stepping in it and really looking stupid <laughs> the concept of the movie is like half really awesome and half really terrible because the mm. part that I really like is it's like oh she hits gets hit on the head and gets transported into a rom-com and it like there's a lot of commentary on how on this like ridiculous rom-com standards like where she's in suddenly her apartment is just huge and she has this unending closet Mm -hmm. and like everything is like beautiful and clean and perfect even though she's in new york and like men are just like coming up to her come on you're going crazy i hit my head really hard and i woke up in this alternate universe and now i have a gay sidekick who's setting gay rides back like a hundred years i love working the legs jesus and guys looking me in the eyes you're quite beguiling aren't you are you feeling what i'm feeling no and like all of that i thought was super cute but the part that i hated was that the setup is like oh she's a fat girl and she gets told that like fat girls can't have romance and so all this has to happen in her mind. Right. And then mm. she gets like hit in the head and, and she hates rom-coms because blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, why couldn't it just be like, she's a fat girl who loves rom-coms and then realizes how ridiculous they are. Like, why does there have to be anything about her <laughs> fatness and her desirability? And her head injury. <laughs> and her head injury. But like, I was just like, what if it was just like Rebel Wilson gets transported into a rom-com and realizes they're ridiculous without any commentary on her body? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That I would have liked. It's hard to know if rom-coms even have the same kind of pop cultural currency or influence that they once did, you know, in the 80s and 90s. They're sort of like, they influence women maybe as much as women's magazines do now. You know, like that women's magazine influence over women's lives and women's behavior and how they felt that they should act or like how they should lie or not lie about their sex lives. That vice grip Uh has been released somewhat, I think, from rom-coms and magazines. And now when women want to feel bad about themselves, they turn to Instagram. Yeah, (laughs) Um, that's what Debbie always says. Yeah, our our boss, Debbie Stoller, says, you know, when young women come into the bus office and they say that they don't read magazines, she's like, well, where do you get your self-hatred from? Um, and it, it's usually Instagram, but where do kids today get the sex stigma? Because it certainly hasn't gone away. People are still definitely lying about yeah everything. We have it in our heads that we always think things change faster than they do. Right. But it's like, like you look at the Brett Kavanaugh hearings and you look at the men who are on the Senate Judiciary Committee and some of them, their political careers started at a time when marital rape was still legal in parts right. of the country and women couldn't get credit cards. Like, <laughs> oh my God. You know, you think about it, like some of these people have been in Chuck office Grassley. since then and those people are still around and still shaping the laws and still making these decisions. Or you look at pop culture and it's like less moon vests and like all these old dudes are still like the final decision makers on a lot of this uh-huh. and so i think there is still this like trickle even though we know better and we're cooler and we've had feminism and we figured it out there is still this like trickle down effect i mean it's really interesting to me that like you know teen vogue is awesome now like a lot of like the conde nast and hearst publications are significantly more radical than they used to be Definitely. but that's very recent and it's really been a thing that's happened on the internet and the print publications are still a little more conservative you know it trickles down like there is still the older people who are shaping the younger people are still getting it from their schools people are still getting it from 
music videos people are still Mm -hmm. getting it from a lot of different places and even though it's better like certainly like there's a lot more queer visibility there's a lot more trans visibility there are the people who are making media are still shaped by these older ideas of what is normal i'm glad you kind of pointed to instagram because it's fascinating you look at like instagram and snapchat filters right you want to talk about dishonesty yeah but those are still (laughs) even though it's like it's new it's tech it's different a these tech companies are still largely run by white men Uh and they're still enforcing this very specific beauty standard and like you do these filters to make yourself look a certain way but like i mentioned at one point in the book there was like a marie curie uh, Snapchat filter, and they gave her like eyeliner and eyelashes. <laughs> oh my god! And people pushed back and they're like, "What is this?" But like, there was still this idea that even as a female scientist being celebrated, you had to be ultra femme in a very specific way. And we're still holding on to these ideas of beauty, even in this like newfangled tech. I think that these masks and these filters can serve as protection, can be a form of safety for women who, as we all know, are really vulnerable online, Mm -hmm. as we are in the real world. But at the same time, for some women, and young women especially, it's reinforcing this idea that, like, you're not good enough unless you are this face. You're not good enough unless you meet this standard, unless your skin is light enough, your hair is straight Mm -hmm. enough, your makeup is perfect. Are we ever going to get to a place of total honesty around sex? What would that kind of a world look like? What do we have to do to get there? Or do we even want to? So, I mean, I think a world where we had total honesty around sex would be a world where we recognize that there's no right way to be. That people can be many different ways. People have many different bodies. People can experience pleasure in many different ways. That people can have complicated histories. That all these different things and that that is okay and that what we are experiencing in the moment as pleasurable, that's consensual obviously, Mm -hmm. um, is is fine. It's all, like I hate saying normal because normal always implies like adhering to this majority. But like it's fine. You could be the only person with your genitalia and your sexual proclivities. And if it's pleasurable for you and it's pleasurable for the people you're involving in that, that's great. doesn't matter what it looks like as long mm-hmm. as everybody is happy. One thing I want to say, too, because I think a lot of times when we talk about it, like, oh, women are lying, there's this idea of like, well, women need to stop lying. Or you'll see these articles where it's like, women, stop saying you have a boyfriend or stop faking your orgasms. You're well, doing stop yourself. making us feel unsafe. Right. Tell me this what is to the do, thing. Also. I think it's not <laughs> necessarily on women to make the change. I think a lot of it is on the patriarchy, which women participate in, but is often structured by men. I think it's on men to be like, oh, I need to make my partners feel safe. I need to let them know if they say no, I respect that. Mm-hmm. Like if they are not interested, that is okay. I'm not going to like keep harassing them. Right. Lux, are you a feminist? Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> How has your feminism evolved or changed as a result of doing all this research on lady lying for this book? You know, I think I've gotten a lot more understanding about the survival strategies that women employ. I just had never really thought about how often we are expected to lie. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think 
that if you had asked me about these scenarios, I would have been like, that is very bad. But definitely when I started this journey, I was like, women aren't lying. Like women are very, very honest. And I started doing this and I was like, oh, it's a lot more complicated. I think I got a lot more nuance and gray area that I hadn't thought about. Do you prior. think that men lie in equal measure or about different things? I think men lie in different ways. And I think that when men lie, it's treated differently. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, we're all lying to adhere to a specific idea of what our gender is supposed to be. But I think, you know, women lie to say we're less experienced. Men lie to say they're more experienced. Right. Mm-hmm. And it seems like women lie to their sex partners and men lie to their friends yeah also true yeah absolutely absolutely i think men publicly are trying to really peacock and present themselves as more masculine and more accomplished and yeah and i i I don't know that men feel as much of a necessity to lie about their sexual past to their partners but definitely to their friends and definitely uh to the world to be like i am so accomplished we're all yeah, I mean, and it's harmful <laughs> for everybody to be held to these standards, but mm-hmm. it functions in different ways. And in that way, I, I feel like it is a very feminist undertaking to point these things out because really lying affects everyone. The patriarchy harms men as much as it harms women, mm-hmm. and this is an example of that. Congratulations on the book. I think you did a tremendous amount of work, and you really talked to so many fascinating people. Thank you. I'm so glad they all wanted to talk to me. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I'm going to ask Lux, I'm going to ask Callie, and you guys are going to ask me, what you watching? Before we get back to the show, I want to tell you about our new sponsor, Wolfie Vibes Publicity. If you're working on a new project, and find yourself in need of a kick-ass publicist who communicates well and works tirelessly to get you the coverage you're after, consider going to Wolfie Vibes Publicity. Wolfie Vibes Publicity is a female-owned and operated boutique PR firm that will get you where you need to be, and you'll even have fun in the process. Get in touch via wolfievibespublicity.com for details and quotes, and tell them that Pop-Tart sent you. And we're back. Lux, let's start with you. What is it that you are watching? And when I say what you're watching, I mean books, TV, movies, uh, the writing on the bathroom wall, whatever it is that you're scrolling through on your phone, like all the pop culture that you're consuming. We want to know what it is because it's probably cool. What you watching? So I'm definitely watching Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Okay. Ah. Speaking of rom-coms, I love how it really dissects and pushes back on the problematic aspects of rom-coms. And I also just, it's one of these shows that continues to surprise me and how complex it is and how it allows its characters to evolve in a way that most TV shows don't. Mm-hmm. Um, also, another show that does that is The Good Place. Yeah, which I've been watching that too. I, I love, love that one as well. Uh, and then... Podcast wise, one of my real favorite podcasts is Flash Forward, which is by my friend Rose Eveleth, and it takes a leap into the future to look at a possible scenario. And then she goes back and talks to 
scientists and futurists about whether that scenario is actually likely, what the problems, what huh. the benefits would be. That sounds cool. Yeah, and her most recent episode, which blew my mind, was about getting pregnant in space. Whoa. Turns out it's actually really difficult and maybe not even possible. Huh. Why? Does the sperm not want to go this way? Yeah, well, it's like, it was a bunch of things. Like, some of it is just, like, how the radiation affects our hormones. Mm. And then also just, like, being in low gravity affects your bodily cells. But I bet you could do a lot of, like, extra, like, exciting humping in space without gravity. Oh, yeah. No, I'm sure you could. You could do, like, some Cirque du Soleil-style shit. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And you might not even have to worry about birth control. Right, because you can't get... In space, no I one can't can hear wait you for get space pregnant. Sex. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else? Ooh, I mean a lot of a lot of things. Like I always really like Bob's Burgers. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm really excited for Jane the Virgin to come back, but it's not coming back for a few for more a while. months. Yeah, I'm like eagerly awaiting it. I'm trying to think. I've been reading book wise. I've been reading. Uh, I forget what the series is called, but the first book is Ancillary Justice, and I'm on the second one, Ancillary Sword, and it's it's like weird sci-fi about a place where people become a part of a ship. Mm. Uh, and so a ship has all these like human bodies attached to it that are the brain of the AI. And it's the protagonist is a character whose ship has been destroyed. And they're like the last survivor of this AI. But the thing that's really fascinating about the book uh, from a gender perspective is that the culture doesn't use gendered pronouns. So everyone is a her. Mm. And and uh, the character at one point is in these cultures that do use gendered pronouns and keeps messing them up because do, males are. Are there cheating. other like descriptions where like her wiener was thick and large, <laughs> so you know like what they're what they're working they, with? Well, it's like interesting because like they refer to all these characters as she, and then occasionally they'll be like, oh yeah, like this character is a male. Yeah, but a lot of times like everybody is just she, and you don't know if they're male or female, and it's sort of interesting like. How you picture them? How you picture them? Mm-hmm. And like, I'm just right now picturing them all as women. And then sometimes they'll be like, "Oh yeah, that one, that person's a male." Mm. But it, it's just sort of interesting to like exist in a fantasy where just everyone is she. Have you ever read the comic book Why the Lost Man? No. They're making it into a movie, which is we should definitely cover. But it's basically like one man, and then everybody in society is women. It's a really old comic book. I used to read it back in like. Mm first year of college or something but i'm looking forward to that movie when it comes out right on hey Callie, what you watching Uh i've been in the witch zone it's still my season you know about this i've been watching the chilling adventures of sabrina me too oh i need to watch that oh i love it i you know there's i have some problems with it the lamps are not one of my problems. There's some good they light have fixtures. The most beautiful lamps in that fucking show. As a practicing witch, do you feel like it's oh, it's fucking off on you? Wrong. It's just I understand that it is not supposed to be a realistic portrayal of witches, so I'm not gonna throw it to the wolves. But it fucks up everything. Witches <laughs> do not believe in Satan. That's not even a thing. Satan is like a thing that. Catholicism and Baptists and, you know, people that believe in God have. Witches do not have that. That's not even remotely in our lexicon. That, that Satan is not a God that we hold, you know. like We have Mother Crones. There's no, no fucking Satan. But you're not mad at it as entertainment. 
I mean, I'm kind of mad that people that aren't educated would believe that this is what goes down, but it is not. Also, they fuck Satan up anyway, because even actual Satanists don't believe in Satan. Satanists don't worship Satan. Yeah. Satanists are out here to fight about people trying to put religion in people's faces. But the art directors are having a field day with Satan. Yeah, that fucking bath mat. Uh, the sculpture statue you know, in, that in the was middle of the occult specifically school. made by the Satanist community, the Church of Satan, to fight with this. Uh, I forget which state it was. Wanted to put up a statue of the Ten Commandments, and I think so it was like Kansas, probably. Yeah, and they were like, "Oh, if you have the, if you're going to use freedom of religion to put your fucking religious statue, then we're going to throw up the fucking goat." You know, like that's what that statue is about, and that statue is not about worshiping Satan. It's about don't put your religion if you don't want to see my religion. So I think that's they fuck that whole shitstorm up. Is it better or worse than the craft? It's the same kind of level where, but at least in the craft, there's more of like the spell work where it's about the items that you bring and what those represent and how that plays out. Yeah, and the craft is more about a mind fuck anyway. Yeah. And Sabrina's more about, like, they just get the whole concept of witchcraft wrong, but it's, I love the colors in it, the use of yeah, all the Yeah, I greens. love the art direction more than I love the writing. And I love the, the opening credits scene. <laughs> Again, it's the art direction. so great. <laughs> There's been a lot of buzz on it, but I don't hate it. Also, I love the overlaps between that and Riverdale. Yeah. Like, the pizza guy that comes, delivers the pizza, and he's, like, a guy that died in Riverdale, and people are, like... Is this the same universe? Is this a different they time? They talk about Riverdale and Greendale. Yeah, being I mean it's the same. Each other. Yeah, they're by each other, but they people are wondering are these two shows set in a similar time or a different time? Because right. it's hard to peg the timeline of where uh, Sabrina is. But then I'm also watching uh, the new Charmed, oh, yeah. which I'm really digging. I really like that. Again, it's like we're not summoning demons, so like that's a bit wild. But I loved OG Charmed. It's so cheesy. And I was like, are they going to have the fucking crazy ass monsters that look like they're from the Power Rangers? How <laughs> fucking wild those monsters were always were. And yeah, they're keeping it true to the cheesiness of the monsters, which I appreciate. Uh -huh. But they're also talking about, you know, they do bring in actual spell work where you put in herbs. And, you know, this it's not just all like incantations and Latin fucked up weird made up words and summoning a demon to do whatever it's it's still good though you know you just can't take it as true of heart of what a witch is um i've been watching the new always sunny season oh yeah that's been good i really love it i love that show how, is too mean for me yeah <laughs> but it's, it's so self-referential and it's meanness like yeah like they are Many supposed people I to respect be love it. They are supposed to be shitty human beings. And that is what reflects. That's what makes it so smart, because like in the one where they try to solve the bathroom problem. Yeah. And they're like, maybe we should have a gender neutral bathroom because they find out that the women's bathroom is so much better than the men's bathroom. But then like they were like, we're all going to take shits in the nicer bathroom. And then it was like they're saying terrible things, but it's all self-referential about like why that would be so terrible it's mm -hmm. it's very on the nose also the one where uh charlie is home alone when they oh go God. to the fucking football game and he that sets up all intense. these traps that was a little a little hard for me to watch in the same way just the violence in home alone is he, a little hard for me. He, he, oh my god you little soft baby um but he like 
it involves like a bear trap and like people that have crazy sports like traditions and it, it's a really good one it's a must I, I i'm really liking this season no i'm really just impressed that it's like been 12 years and it's still really strong has it been that long yeah, yeah. wow it's really good it is mean but it's meant to be like these people are the shittiest fucking people yeah and when will they ever realize what they're doing is shitty and then it just it's it's good also american horror story more witches and more witches. i'm loving it i'm loving that they're referencing previous seasons mm-hmm. the last episode was so weird did you watch the last one mm-hmm. i'm not gonna throw anything out because it was just too yeah, wild don't be spoilery there's but too much you can't even there's a lot touch on to, it. there's a lot to watch I also watched Bad Moms, which I thought was going to be a really shitty movie, and it was actually way funnier than I thought. Really? The original yeah. one or the sequel? The original one. Okay. I was like, I never watched this because I thought it was going to be a shitty-ass movie. Yeah. And it was shockingly not insulting, and it had a lot of really good jokes. Okay. Yeah, I thought I was going to fucking throw that in the trash. And then also my best friend, Christian, Christian Dietrich, he's working with another one of my best friends, Jaja Brown. And he's working on a show called Downtown 18. They just released the sizzle reel on YouTube on Knox Films. NYC, Jaja's the host, and he basically goes through the underground hip-hop culture of Brooklyn and current New York because he's a famous skateboarder. Um, he was in the band um, Ninja Sonic. And so he's really deep into the graffiti and skateboarding and underground rap scene. And I hate to toot my own horn, but I... When Christian asked me if I had any ideas for who should host, I was like, Jaja, without a doubt. Toot, 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 toot. And he's crushing it, and I'm really excited. It's going to involve some puppets. It's going to be <laughs> like a pretty dirty version of Sesame Street, but also, like, I think Jizz is involved talking science with puppets. There's going to mm. be skate scenes. They're going to interview people that are local legends. I'm really excited about this venture that he's on. That and sounds that's cool. I've been when I'm watching. And you, my boo? I'm so glad you asked. I am excited that there's a new Suspiria out. I haven't seen it yet, but in preparation. I heard it was like gone with the wind long. (laughs) I heard it's like three hours long. And then they put an additional scene after the credit. Also, their (laughs) trailer was too long. Yeah, the trailer was editing that shit needs to calm down. But still, I still plan to see it. And in preparation, I went to MidnightPulp.com where they are showing the Ridge Suspiria. Mm. So good. The decor, the clothes. The heart that gets ripped out of someone's chest still beating. So good. The color red everywhere on everything. Dario Argento, who directed, is a total weirdo. Like everything, the plot barely exists. It's really all about the interiors. I could not tell you what the fuck Suspiri is about except witches. It's just about this amazing ceiling and that amazing wallpaper and... This crazy lamp. What's and that movie that had J-Lo in it with the horse where you could see its insides? Oh, The Cell. The Cell. Like, what the fuck was that movie about? But it's visually stunning. Yeah. Like, I just want to live in the world of Suspiria's interiors. And maybe that says something terrible about me because, <laughs> like, it's supposed to be very horrific and, like, a nightmare world. But I was like, ooh, ah. Yep. It was so um, Art Nouveau and Erte and just everything was that's how i feel about sabrina's lamps right yeah it's it's stimulating in a similar way and i would like to point out as listeners of this show know my very very favorite pop culture entity of all time is the original dark shadows soap opera 
and Joan Bennett, who plays Liz on Dark Shadows. The original Suspiria was her final film. Oh. oh. Yeah. And she has that amazing mid-Atlantic accent that she uses to say things like, in the past. (laughs) (laughs) I love her mid-Atlantic accent so much. Also, I watched the shit out of Making a Murderer Season 2 on Netflix. And I will tell you that I still don't know if Stephen Avery murdered that girl or not. But... I need you to explain who's that girl. I saw like I, I barely remember when this was a thing. Making a murderer. Yeah. So in a nutshell, there was this dude out in uh, Wisconsin. He got I think this was like in the 80s or early 90s. He was incarcerated for a rape that he did not commit and he was exonerated. He was out for a few years. He sued the city for millions of dollars for incarcerating him for this crime that he didn't commit like the dna evidence finally caught up and it wasn't him but that's how fucking long it takes to get a rape kit then a year like a few years after when he won this big civil suit and like sued the whole city he was back on trial for murder of this woman who came to take a picture of he had like this big auto lot and she was taking pictures. She was just like a, a freelance photographer around town. So this woman came out to take pictures of his car for auto trader and was never seen again. And then pieces of her skeleton were oh. found on his property, uh, which would imply that he killed her. And then he has a, a uh, mentally challenged nephew who lives on the lot oh, also. Now I'm and so then they pulled him out of class when he was 16 and basically browbeat him into a confession over many, many hours feeding him information about the case so then he could then parrot it back to them. So there was a question of like whether or not this crime, ac- the only evidence that they have that the crime happened was the, these few bone fragments and this kid's confession which was obviously coerced from him yeah you've seen that show false confessions is that what it's called i haven't seen it well it's like they basically like show people that like like have to be in a room for like four days and then they get like you said they just like keep feeding them the info until it gets like regurgitated back at them until they get what they want so it's like people are delirious they don't eat they don't sleep and then finally they confess to something like they convinced one woman that she had burnt her children alive. Oh, God. And the woman, like, she was like, maybe I don't remember this. Maybe I did kill them, and I I just don't remember. Right. But it turned out she had not killed them, and it was somebody else. But they, like, coerce these things out of you because they, they just put you in such a state that you are not even, like, mentally aware. I definitely think that what they did with the mentally challenged teenager was um, not ethical. And I don't know if Stephen Avery or Stephen Avery and his nephew or none of the above had anything to do with this murder. I do not know. Um, but the best thing about Making a Murder Season 2 is that Stephen Avery has this new lawyer. Her name is Kathleen Zellner, and she is not taking any shit. She's so amazing. Like, whether or not he's guilty or innocent, whether or not he ever gets exonerated, like, if anybody ever accuses me of anything for the rest of my life, I'm putting Kathleen Zellner on speed dial. She's like out there doing detective work in her boots she's like gathering ballistics evidence by like shooting up Stephen avery's garage she's like wow doing like all of these like um 
She's going to like experts in body burning. She's going to experts in in blood splatter. She's like gathering this vast network of experts that his original attorneys like never even tried to discuss or talk like he had no experts on his side when he was convicted of this second crime which people are suggesting he was framed for because of the whole multi-million mm-hmm. dollar suit i found making a murderer season two even more compelling and gripping than season one because of the addition of the attorney kathleen zellner just doing doing all the cool investigating that I nobody did it. in season one i have a problematic bay his name is morrissey <laughs> he is he has just made a, a sharp turn towards terrible but he's given me so much joy throughout my life that when i saw his new video on youtube for his pretenders cover of back on the chain Gang, so much and he sounds so good and I love the original by the pretenders it is so good problematic days. oh he's so problematic also he really ha- slipped he was how did he end up swerving so hard did he drink the water in Flint I don't yeah. know I just feel like it, I would never have seen it coming like early Morrissey I would have never I mean, he was always a jerk, but sort of like in a lovable way. Right. Then, yeah. Then it was all just of like that, Salty Bay. He squandered all that goodwill. It was really bad. <laughs> right wing weirdness. <laughs> yeah. There's he he went like full Dennis Miller. I don't know. <laughs> so, I feel like it was like click hole or something, but it was like it was like earplugs for when uh, Morrissey starts talking in between his sets. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Pretty much. But the lovely thing about YouTube video of Back on the Chain Gang is it's just him singing and it's not even him singing his own words. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds so sweet. House of Cards is back on Netflix. I'm enjoying I've never the seen fantasy of a female president. Mm. And uh, there's also a show called Three Wives, One Husband on Netflix. For some reason, I enjoy documentaries about polygamy. This is a four part. There's just something about all those wives and all those kids. <laughs> Is it is it like white Christians? Yeah, it's Mormons. Thing? It's fundamentalist uh. Mormons. They've carved their home out of the side of some rocks in Utah. The thing I find so interesting about those shows, it's always like fundamentalist Mormons, even though there are many other cultures that have yeah. this. But I feel like it's like if you did like a Muslim family that was polygamous, it would not be received as positively or as right mm-hmm. as like oh they're sort of like us or even a non-religious yeah is it a, non- is it a whiteness a thing or a christian thing? i think i think it's definitely like a whiteness cri- i think the fact that they're like white and christian makes it like oh this is quirky rather than like this is far well, and also weird. white men are like oh these guys get three wives you know like but those dudes are run yeah. ragged like they are exhausted and like put upon and they're like supporting 27 children good god yeah. but mean, i think like fantasy men in fantasy are like they there's three yeah. sets of tits yeah. Woo! 
You know, and that's really and weird. And the women attached to those tits are feeling neglected and upset right. and angry. <laughs> yeah, they're not. They're and not, jealous. They're not I practicing good wives. poly uh, <laughs> ethics <laughs> right. all the time. So, yeah, if that floats your boat, that's on Netflix, too. And that is what I've been watching. Thanks so much to our producer, Rachel Withers. The greatest producer of all <laughs> is happening to us. Our pals... Lally and Marv and Jacob at 300 Entertainment and our girl gang at Bust Magazine. You can find me on Twitter at Emily Rems. You can't find Callie on Twitter. No, no, Don't no, even no, try it. No, no. Lux, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Lux Alptrum at L-U-X-A-L-P-T-R-A-U-M. It's just my name is my handle. Nice. And you can email Callie and I both at Bust. I'm Emily Rems at Bust.com. CallieW at Bust.com. And you can learn more about this show at Bust.com slash Pop-Tarts. And finally, please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. It's like just the least that you can do. (laughs) I don't mean to put the guilt trip on you. I don't want to put the whammy on you. But honestly, you've been listening to us for like a year and a half now, right? Just rate and review us on iTunes already. Do it. Just drop it on us. Just drop it like it's hot. Uh, It really helps us get the word out, and we super-duper appreciate it. Until next time, mwah!